Thank you, Cruzels. Appreciate you guys very much for reading and praying, setting us up. Well, Eddie made mention of it that we um, have turned a corner in the Sermon on the Mount. As you know, uh, if you're new or um, you haven't been paying attention or following along, uh, we've been in the Sermon on the Mount since August, and we now have a couple of more uh, weeks to go. And so um, if you didn't notice, last week was really this turn home. And Jesus uh, ends his sermon, the greatest sermon that was ever preached, a little bit differently than maybe what I would be, uh, what I am tempted to do today. And that is to kind of fluff it up, make sure everybody leaves with, a, with you know, just a smile on their face. That they leave the hillside with like, man, that Jesus, and he is a good teacher. I mean, I really appreciate him, and he is solid. He does not do that. Instead, uh, as we turn the corner, as Stephen turned the corner and led us around the corner last week, there are four warnings that Jesus is leaving us with, and we're unpacking those as we go and as we finish the sermon over these next few weeks. Last week, these four similar warnings prepare us for eternal judgment. <laughs> okay, that's happening. I smile a little bit because that's not something that's commonplace from the pulpit anymore, and that was the only thing that they used to preach on. Jonathan Edwards, the great revivalist uh, back in the day, I mean, one of his most famous sermons is Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, and revival breaks out with that kind of preaching. It's not something that we uh, have an appetite for, not something that even preachers want to preach on very often anymore. I can tell you this is one of the beauties of teaching through the scriptures line by line and verse by verse because it forces you to teach and preach and learn things that you normally wouldn't select by preference. And so here we are with four warnings, right? There's a false gate, a false way that he talked about last week. Today, there are false prophets along the way. Next week, there's false assurance that you could be holding on to. And then finally, a false foundation, which is where we'll end things, of course. So you may be asking yourself, like, why do we need these warnings? And if you remember, Jesus has called us to enter through the narrow gate to walk on the hard road of discipleship. If you've been walking with Jesus, you can rest assured it's going to get difficult at some point. Um, one of the things that, that I've kind of relearned this week was the fact that that word for hard road or hard way, uh, back in verse uh, 14, for the gate is narrow and the way is hard, it means it's meant to crush you, to press you like an olive press. That's the design of the road. And Jesus says, that's where we got to be as disciples. If you've been following Jesus for any length of time, you know how difficult his calling can be. You know how difficult it is to stay on that narrow and difficult path. For many reasons, whether it be our own temptation, for many reasons, to stay on that hard, pressing road is difficult. And yet Jesus knows if we don't do it, we are in peril. We're in danger. So these four warnings, not just to enter into the gate, not just to get and find that narrow, hard, difficult way, but now that we're on the way, and we get a little hungry, don't we, when we travel? I don't know if you've traveled anywhere in the great state of Texas, but you have to stop by Bucky's, whether you're hungry or not, whether you got to go to the restroom or not, Bucky's is there, and so you got to go in. It's there, I don't, I don't even know if I need it, I just know that I want to go there. 
Or if you're going down a different way, maybe it's Prosix or some other place that you like. But that's the reality, right? That when you travel, you got to get a snack or two. It would have been the same thing for the disciples. you got to remember, these guys didn't really have, they didn't have cars, obviously. But they, they weren't rich enough to travel on donkey or anything other means of transportation. Instead, they walked way more than they thought they were going to walk with the Messiah. Because you imagine the Messiah coming in, and he's like, all right, guys, follow me. And they go, okay, well, great, we're going to dinner? No, no, we're going to go up to Galilee. But that's three days' journey. Yeah, yeah, we leave tonight. We're now in Galilee. We just got here. Now we've got to go back to Jerusalem. Couldn't we have done what we did in Jerusalem just a few days ago? No, no, we're going back down. They traveled and they journeyed on a regular basis, walking for days at a time, packing very lightly. And so you've got to think, what did they do on the way? They certainly encountered sheep with shepherds along the way. They also would have encountered grain fields. You see this in the text. You see this throughout the scriptures, that they're walking through a grain field, and they might you know, pluck a head of grain and, and crush it in their hand and then eat some wheat along the way. Sorry if you're a gluten-free disciple. That's not available for you, but that's what they did. You walked along and you ate the grain. There would be other times where they found fig trees along the path, and they'd pluck a fig tree, and they would eat the fig. And so when Jesus says, now that you're on the way, what kind of tree are you going to be eating from? It's very familiar imagery that these disciples would have. We have nourishment for our journey, and we need nourishment for our journey. And Jesus reminds us of the harsh reality that the narrow gate and the hard way is full of snares that the enemy has set to distract you, to keep you from reaching the end, especially those of false prophets, false teachers. Jesus says they are wolves hiding amongst the flock, trees which look healthy but are in fact diseased. You see, the gate of the gospel is one thing, but the way which presses on you is quite another. Finding salvation is one thing, walking faithfully in it is quite another. And the question is, will we get so desperate to ease our discomfort on the pressing, crushing, narrow way of Jesus that you'll eat from just any tree? We get so desperate on the journey. We go, I don't know, I just need something. Doesn't matter if it's going to be good for me. Doesn't matter if it's going to give me life. I just need something. And here this tree is offering me a fruit. But how do we know if it's safe? How do we know if it's something that we can trust? Jesus warns us that you may enter into the gate only to miss the way. You may be on the way only to be tricked to take a different path. You may be going along just uh, just fine, only to get hungry and eat from the wrong tree. Listen to the wrong prophet, the wrong teacher. You see, implicit in this warning, and this is a, uh, a question for our neighborhood groups that we'll unpack later on uh, this week or tonight, whenever a neighborhood group may meet, is that there's an invitation here to understand what fruit, what message, what piece of nourishment is most tempting for me along the hard way with Jesus. What message would lure me from my devotion to him? What false assurance would I be tempted to trust in or to blend my worship of Jesus with? See, I think one of the greatest dangers, and, and we'll talk a little bit about this, one of the greatest dangers that we have is Jesus and. Oh, just be a Christian and also do all these other things. Oh, or, and this is the other part, I'll talk about this a little bit, like, man, you guys are really serious about Jesus. Man, take it easy. 
right? That's, that's the, those are the dangers that are before us and implicit for us is to help us understand this invitation. What is most tempting for us along the way? Jesus proclaims to us today whether our tempting fruit is politics or Instagram or sports or being known or acceptance or anything or any person, Jesus says, consider the false prophets. Consider the fruit. Take notice of them. Have your eye on them. He calls them pseudo-prophets. False prophet here is pseudo-prophet. And what does pseudo mean? It looks real. It's absolutely fake and hollow and offers nothing for us. So Jesus invites us to understand this. And the first thing that he invites us to understand is that this is a matter of life and death. You remember last week how Stephen ended? He said, this warning isn't for them out there. This warning is for people in this room. And he continues on, and he'll continue on this whole pace to warn people inside the synagogue, inside the temple, inside the church, those that come and hear the messages, those that are on that hillside hearing all the comforting words of Jesus saying, come and seek everything you need from your good father. And as he says those things, he now turns the page to warn us of the perilous journey, that this is life or death. Jesus calls us now, friends, not to believe in just anyone and everyone that says they're a Christian teacher. Like I know they have Jesus on their shirt, and I know they sing about Jesus in their country song, but that doesn't mean anything, especially not in this culture. So what does it look like? Well, the first thing that we can see with all this is that they pretend to be something they aren't, right? They're like wolves in sheep clothing. They will say anything to get close to those who are vulnerable in order to devour them. That's the first image that Jesus says. He's, they're, like, they're like wolves in sheep's clothing. They're ravenous wolves. He goes on to say that they look like good trees, but in fact they are diseased. But the word here for disease is probably better translated evil or bad, ESV doesn't do us a service in this particular translation because if you are diseased, number one, diseased trees don't normally bear fruit, but also a diseased tree might come back to health. And that's not at all what this is looking like. Instead, the language here is of fish that have gone bad. It's spoiled. Fish doesn't come back. It doesn't just all of a sudden get edible again. Right? Once it sits out, that's it. And that's the language here where he talks about these trees, that they're bad, they're evil, they're, they're no good for anything, and yet they produce a fruit. They produce a fruit. If you know the story about Chris McCandless, Chris McCandless was a young man who's a thriving student at Cal Berkeley uh, in the early 90s, and he got a wild hair about him to move into the wilderness of Alaska. And there was a book written about him, there was a film about him called Into the Wild. And he goes out into the Alaskan wilderness, and he lives in a bus, ultimately, and he lives there for 113 days. And, and close to the end of his journey is a journal entry, which says this, extremely weak, fault of potato seed, much trouble just to stand up, starving, great jeopardy. Three weeks later... Chris McCandless died in the wilderness of Alaska. And after a lot of discussion, a lot of debate about why he died, what it was determined based on the surroundings of where he was when he was found and his journal entries was that he was eating uh, the seeds of Eskimo potatoes, 
thinking they were safe, but after much lab work, now with modern technology, what they have found is that those potato seeds contain a toxin called ODAP. I don't know anything about this other than what I've read, just so you know. ODAP. This toxin slowly causes, this is what it does, it slowly causes the neurons in your legs to eventually die so that you cannot walk. And such was the case in Chris McCandless's life that it caused paralysis, eventually leading to his starvation. See, that is what is at stake today. It looks good. It may even taste good. But the toxins of false prophets in today's world may be ingested a little bit at a time, but over an amount of time, it will eventually cause paralysis in the way of Jesus, causing us to eventually starve and die on the way. And so Jesus says, this is a matter of life and death, not just physically, but eternally. And not just the quality of eternal life, but for all time. That's what's at stake here today. So what do we look for? I'll say this, the fruit reveals the root. That's why Jesus says in verse 16 and verse 20, he says, you will recognize them by their fruits. Verse 20, thus you will recognize them by their fruits. Jesus tells us that we should be looking out for the fruit of any teacher's life based on their words and their works. Your job as a congregant, as a partner, as a guest of the Grove Church is to look at my life and to look at the words that I speak or anybody else that comes up here and speaks and go, does it line up with Scripture? Now, I'm not talking about being mistaken. I'm also not talking, I don't think Jesus is talking about someone who is wrong and yet repentant. No, these false prophets are those that are stubborn in their their disbelief about core doctrines of the faith. And therefore, teach them and produce fruit, so to speak, so that others will partake. You see, the fruit reveals the root. And every time I say this, there's at least one or two people that come up to me, email me, text me, call call me, and go, you know, it's not nice what you just did. It's not nice to call out those false teachers, those, those other pastors. Let me remind you, these are not pastors. These are not shepherds. Okay, so whoever your favorite person is, and I'm not going to mention any by name, I don't think, although we'll see what the Lord does. I'm not going to mention any by name, right? Whoever your favorite person is that you have in your mind, that, you might, that might come to mind when I start talking about some of the characteristics of this fruit, hey, look, like they're wolves and they're ready to devour your soul. So let's just be real about this. That this matters, Okay, so one of my great strengths as a shepherd is to protect you all. Okay, I love, this is my, one of my favorite things, although it can come off a little strong. I love to protect. It's one of my favorite things. But like, let's just be real, right? Like, these are wolves. Jesus is very clear. These aren't shepherds and these aren't sheep. They know exactly what they're up to. They're covered in sheepskin. They put on that, that like sheep urine, like deer hunters do, and they go into the, into the, into the wilderness, Right? Some of you right now are like, ooh, I did that, yeah. I don't know what your problem is. I don't know why your hobbies make you do that. It's weird. Probably should reevaluate your hobbies. You're putting urine on yourself voluntarily. That's what these false teachers are doing. They're blending in. That wasn't in my notes. Just forgive me. No, but I don't think it was from him either. 
So look, this is, it's understood, right? We can't talk about just people that are making mistakes. We're talking about people that are unwilling to budge when Scripture clearly shows that they are wrong. So look, here's the deal, is that we have millennia of examples as to what a false teacher actually does. Jeremiah's ministry, uh, was he was known as the weeping prophet a lot because of false prophets. He would speak a very challenging, difficult word to God's people, and then a false prophet would come in, one of them named Hananiah. In Jeremiah 27 and 28, uh, uh, Jeremiah preaches a a really tough message. He says, you must submit to the yoke of Nebuchadnezzar. Now I want you to hear that. That's 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 a prophecy over God's people. You must submit to the yoke of Nebuchadnezzar. If you don't, you will die either by the sword or by sickness or by siege. And of course, right after that, Hananiah goes, no, no, no. God is more powerful than what Jeremiah is up to. He has already broken the yoke of Nebuchadnezzar. We'll only be gone for a couple of years and then we'll be back. Now, who would you be more tempted to listen to? Wouldn't you be more tempted to listen to the prophet that says God's powerful enough to save us? Of course we would. And yet, by their fruit, we know them over time. So this is one of the things that we got to look for, right? Um, well, before I get to our three fruit, like this is the thing that, that, that Jeremiah warns us about in Jeremiah 6, 14, about false prophets. Look at what a false prophet will do, and this pretty much colors the rest of what we understand to be about false prophets. They have healed the wound of my people lightly. You feel a little relief sometimes, but not a deeper rest in the Lord. Perhaps it could be from a false prophet. They have healed the wound of my people lightly, saying, peace, peace, and there is no peace. So what does it look like to preach peace, peace, where there is no peace? Three things that I think we can look for as far as fruit are concerned, and then we're going to get to the end of this thing at some point. Fruit number one, false prophets are all positive these days and no negative. They will avoid negative subjects like the plague. False teachers look good, smell good, preach really well, and are attractive in every way. You know them by the fruit of their teaching popular things. Self-help, self-assurance for the sake of success and inner peace or prosperity. Fruit number one, that's peace, peace, where there is no peace. Fruit two, false teachers avoid teaching hard things like sin and judgment and warnings only to seek to encourage and inspire. This ensures large followings, whether on social media or in large Uh, gathering spaces. It ensures it because it's always positive. It's always feeding the flesh to feel good about ourselves. Fruit number three, false teachers teach an easy way. If you look at the gospel ministry of Paul, what you'd find in the book of Galatia, uh, Galatians, to the church at Galatia, he would planted this church, and he gave them the gospel that Jesus has paid for their sin, that there's nothing you can add to the finished work of Jesus. And then what does he do? He writes, who cut in on you? You were running a good race. 
What happened? You were believing faithfully in the goodness of God and the free gift of salvation. Who came in and told you that you got to add a Jewish custom like circumcision in order to be saved? Who cut in on you and told you you got to attend this or the other in order to be saved? Who cut in on you and told you you got to add anything to Jesus and his finished work? See, the pattern is simple and clear. Good gospel ministry has a foundation, and then the enemy comes in and starts to tear it up bit by bit through false teaching, through false prophets. A plus B equals God's blessing. You can come and get freedom from all your addictions. All you got to do is buy my book or come to my conference. That's more, that, is, that is more prevalent than we want to admit. Jesus, is this how Jesus taught? This is how he offered people help. This is how he healed people. You see, you have to ask yourself, what is the false prophet's gain? To be liked. To gain followers. To be a high uh, of popularity. You see, celebrity has always been a drug by which the enemy will deceive us because we think, ooh, if there's a lot of people there, then God must be blessing it. That is not the case. We have been captivated for a long time about, by popular by fun, by entertainment, by emotional experiences. We want those things to be true and normative for our lives, but apart from Jesus, there can be no rest, there can be no true joy. So Jesus says, beware of the one who preaches easy, feel-good messages which offend no one and gathers everyone. All of you that have become partners of the grove, go, well, amen, and praise God. That's not, the, that's not the church I go to, right? And Jesus gives a warning in Luke 6 when he says, woe to you all when all people speak well of you. So you may never have a platform, you may never have a microphone, but surely there's a warning in there for us. If you're not offending about 5% of the people around you because of your devotion and worship to Jesus, there's something wrong. There should just be some level of offense because of your devotion and following Jesus. Not because we're jerks, not because we're short with people, but because of the gospel. Because we believe in this thing and it offends somebody else's sensibilities. That we follow him. Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. Do you see the drug of popularity both in Jeremiah's time and in Jesus' time and in our time? So what do we do? What do we do with all of this? You're thinking to yourself, surely you're not about to say there are six things to do at 1101. Surely I am. What do we do? Number one, remember that these wolves are sneaky. These wolves are sneaky. They, they're, they're trees that look good, but they are bad. Look at what Peter says in 2 Peter 1. He says, But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly, secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them. You get that? Did you get that Jesus bought you? bringing upon themselves swift destruction, and many will follow their sensuality, popularity, things that are enjoyable and pleasurable and fun and entertaining. And because of them, the way of truth 
will be blasphemed. They are sneaky. It will be a secret that they'll come in and introduce these things to us. Number two, we've got to be aware of how we define success and failure. If you look at Jeremiah's ministry, you would count him as a failure. Forty years of preaching the truth to God's people, and they never listened. You would count the, fa- the, the, the ministry of Jesus the same way, though not 40 years, 30-plus something years of living on this life, and what do we see at the end? But his best friends, his most devoted followers, are nowhere to be found in his most dire point of need. He has but about two or three followers when he is dying on the cross. One of them is hanging next to him. That's not something that we would look at and be like, man, like that's successful right there. I want to do that. That is yet the call to every Christian, whether you're ever a teacher or not, that is the call for us, right? <clears throat> that, he, the, that both of these men were, by all worldly metrics, not great leaders. They were failures in the world's eyes, but yet they were sent by God, successful in his eyes, and fulfilled the mission which he gave them to live. So let us be careful about how we define success and failure, especially when it starts to coming to fruit, Fruit doesn't necessarily mean massive amounts of crowds, as we've talked about. Number three, be patient. Be patient in what you look at and in what you see. You see, Jesus says, look at their fruit. Examine their fruit. Um, Before the freeze, I had a lemon tree in my front yard. We'll see if it comes back. But there's a good portion of time during the year where that lemon tree looks like a lime tree. And I've even had people pull up into my driveway and go, ooh, you got a lime tree? Can I have a few? I go, you can have some, but it ain't going to taste good. It's not a lime tree. It's a lemon tree. Come back in a few months, and it will be large lemons that are juicy and delicious. And I don't know what you use all these lemons for, why the previous owner put a lemon tree in my front yard, but there it is. Not lemon meringue in my house, but lemonade, delicious. Right? I, the point is this, that if you look at that fruit at the wrong time, you will misidentify the kind of tree it truly is. And Jesus gives us the same warning. We must be patient. If we're going to look at the fruit of these false prophets, of these trees, we have to understand that it takes time to properly discern who they are. And in a world that is digital, with a news feed that just never ends, we are digesting opinions and information at a pace that is mind-numbing. And therefore, we, are, we find ourselves lacking nuance and full understanding of anyone that disagrees with our position on things. We are in danger of misjudging fruit before it is ripened. Uh, we must be patient with what's going on. Number four, we've got to test the teaching like the Bereans. If you know the Bereans in Acts 17, uh, Berea was a town where Paul and Silas fled to after being persecuted in Thessalonica. They, they, they plant this church in a little town called Thessalonica. The Jews come in and they go, hey man, that's salvation by grace alone, through Christ alone. I ain't having that. These people got to obey the law and come hear me teach. They're false teachers and they push Paul and Silas out. They go to a place called Berea. While they're in Berea, they preach the same message, salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. They preach that same message, but the Bereans, instead of pushing them out, they go back and they hear Paul's messages and they examine them in accordance with the scriptures. 
Look what, what uh, Acts 17, 11 says. They received the word with all eagerness, and they examined the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. When you come in and out of Sunday gatherings, of neighborhood groups, or whatever it may be, podcasts, are you examining the teachings according to the scriptures? Not your opinions, not based on what you've been raised with, not anything else except the scriptures. Number five. So far, we've talked about, remember, they're sneaky. Beware of how you define success and failure. Be patient. Test the teachings like the Bereans. Two more. Number five, know what you believe. If you are going to have any sort of success in understanding what the fruit looks like of a false prophet, you've got to know what the fruit of a true prophet looks like. You've got to know what you believe. Paul says in 1 Timothy 4, keep a close watch on yourself. And on the teaching, persist in this, for by so doing you will save both yourself and your hearers. So let's just say that you've read this once. When's the last time you've read it? All the greatest preachers and teachers and Christians that I know try to read this thing every year, all the way through. And when I say best, I don't mean like most successful. I'm talking about most faithful to the hard way. That they will read this on a consistent basis. They persist in sound teaching. They persist. It says, watch your life. It's not just the, 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 the words of someone, but the ways of someone. Many of you have asked me how we're doing today. Many of you asked, you, asked me how my daughter is doing today. Last week we were a mess. I'll just be really candid with you. We were here. We were gathering with you. We were also crying a lot because we were just grieving over the trauma of my daughter who broke her wrist. Like it's not like literally not life and death, but it was there was there was some grief associated with that with our family for various reasons. And on the way home from the ER, uh, when she got her arm reset, she's crying in the back seat. Right, my daughter Ellie. She's ten. Um, she's crying in the back seat, and she just screams out to us. She goes, "Why did God do this?" Did I sin? What did I do wrong? You see, if you watch your life closely, if you watch your teaching closely, if you're ready for the moment when your kid asks you an impossible question like that, and that's when you get to say to her, no, no, sweet girl, you didn't do anything wrong. You didn't do anything to deserve this. You see, Jesus was punished fully for your sin. He doesn't punish you. If you believe in him, and we just celebrated her baptism on Easter Sunday. If you believe in him, Jesus, Jesus has fully punished, or the Father has fully punished Jesus on your behalf. He's not paying you back for anything you did wrong. It's not how he works. And he's not doing this. We live in a fallen world where the enemy has some authority here. The enemy's a thief. And he's stealing a whole lot from you right now. She just looked at me like, oh, man. Now, all of this, young Ellie, all of this sweet girl, God is going to show you something about himself that you would have never seen in any other way except through this momentary suffering. It's when I ended that sentence that she burst out into tears because she knows God's moving. She knows God's working, even amidst pain, even amidst the hard way, even amidst much disappointment and grief and difficulty and a whole lot going on. She knows that in that moment, if we watch our life and our doctrine closely, there is life to be had on the hard way. That's number five. Number six, and finally, 
This is probably the most, uh, the least popular one. Warn others of false teachers. Now, just put this caveat in there. Be careful. You don't want to just go out telling everybody who you think is a false teacher because they disagree with you on your stance on women in ministry. Not a false teacher. But when you get into things like the Trinity, things like God's Word, things like salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone, when you get to the essentials, then be aware of what you believe. And when you see those people leading your loved ones astray, speak to them and name names. You might think to yourself, man, that's really harsh. Yeah, yeah, but Paul didn't back down from this type of pastoral work. Paul didn't back down from this type of shepherding care. If you see what he does in 1 Timothy 1, look at what he says. Y'all catch this in the eternal scriptures? If you ever think that's gossip, if you ever think that's slander, if you ever think that's sin in some way, check out how God cares for his people by calling out false teachers in 1 Timothy 1. Check this out. 1 Timothy 1, 19 and 20. By rejecting this, the call to stand firm and not get caught up in controversies and myths, by rejecting this, some have made a shipwreck of their faith, among whom, my favorite, one of my favorite parts in the scriptures, among whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. Two things in this, y'all. Number one, Paul has no problem calling two people out for all of eternity. For all of eternity in the eternal scriptures, which is our authority, Hymenaeus and Alexander made a shipwreck of their faith. That's an example to us to warn others by name, if necessary, that there are people that are here that don't belong here, and they are here to devour us. That's the first thing. The second thing I love to see, or I I hate to see, but I, I learn from, when we hand people to Satan, when we... Let's just say that like the hard day comes where there's church discipline or something like that, and we have to say, you know, we love you, but you're no longer welcome here because of these types of passages, whether it be blasphemy or whether it be disunity or whether it just be you're here and you're trying to cause all kinds of issues, and we go, man, we, like maybe there's another place for you. Like maybe it's not handing people to Satan, but maybe there is a point where you do go outside of the church, outside of the family of God is a place where Satan will teach you not to blaspheme. And it is a place where we are in danger. This is a coveted privilege of the world to be a part of God's family. They may not know it. They may not understand it. But to get what we get on a weekly basis, on a, in neighborhood groups as well, of, of, of people that don't get it right all the time, but love God, his word, and his people, it is a privilege that we should never take for granted on this hard, pressing way, on the way, with and to King Jesus. Let's pray together. Let's ask God for wisdom as we move in the days ahead. Our Father in heaven, help us understand the power of words. Help us understand the power of the ways of the teachers that we submit ourselves to. Not everybody that we listen to on a podcast, not every book or blog that we subscribe to, not every sermon that is preached by whomever we listen to and our favorite person is, because they make us feel good or whatever it may be, is from you. So help us discern. Help us examine. Help us be aware of fruit that leads to danger. Help us understand that there are false prophets 
that there are wolves, that there are bad trees, and not everything that we ingest is good for us. So it will help us examine weekly, daily, hourly, the things that we're ingesting into our bodies. Help us understand that, that it's a secret. It's a, it's a sneaky. That it's a seed of an Eskimo potato that can end up causing us our life. Well, help us see these things, but help us not be afraid. For anybody in here that hears a message like this and is afraid as a result, Lord, let the enemy flee from that person drenched, cleansed by the blood of Jesus. Instead, Lord, let us walk in boldness that our good shepherd is taking care of us. And as a, a, a way of taking care of us, you're also saying, hey, be aware. Take notice. Be looking out. He's always lurking, trying to get us to be distracted. So help us continue to follow you in strength and in encourage. Lord, we know that you are a tender God. We know that you are a strong God. You call us to yourself. For anybody here that maybe have been given over to false prophecies and false teachings that needs to understand the truth, Lord, let them discern the truth. For those of us that are walking along the way, Lord, help us discern when we've let in a little pieces of the enemy that we don't need in. Maybe we need to unsubscribe from that email list or that blog post or that Instagram feed. So Holy Spirit, do your work as we respond. Holy Spirit, do your work as we leave here. Convict, counsel, comfort along the way. We need you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.